Explore the history, relationships, expertise, and data that go into ensuring Stein growers get maximum yield potential. This is the Stein Seedcast. Here's your host, David Thompson. Hello, and welcome to the Stein Seedcast. I'm your host, David Thompson, National Marketing and Sales Director for Stein Seed Company. We've got another great episode lined up with special guests, expert insights, and discussion on everything you need to know about maximizing yield potential. On today's episode, our special guest is Myron Stein, president of Stein Seed Company. Welcome back to the show, Myron. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. So lately, there's a lot of hype in the industry about short stature corn. Uh, we're seeing more and more seed companies talking about the benefits of shorter plant architecture, including standability, overall performance, and uh, more companies coming out with their own iterations of the product. Now, Stein has been on the forefront of short stature corn for more than a decade. So I've asked Myron to come on here to talk about the short corn revolution that we're seeing and what that means for Stein's advantage in the marketplace. So let's get started. So to get us started today, Myron, how about a quick refresher? Tell us about Stein's journey in moving toward shorter stature corn, how we started. You know, this is a really good topic because it'll explain how we've become a company with very, very different material. So Harry Stein, when we started breeding corn, would put out plots, just like our like on our soybean program. He'd make a number of new genetic combinations, put plots out all over, and then take the yield information off of those and decide, okay, what's good and what's bad. And at that time, and this was in the 70s and 80s, late 70s and 80s, most companies would plant the replicated plots and they'd thin them out to a specific population. We didn't do that, or he didn't do that, um, because that was an expensive process. So what he would do is he'd have the plot planted, it would not be thinned out, and so everything in that plot would sometimes have a different, a different finished population when it came up. And he went years doing that. And he would always pick, of course, the highest yielding material. Well, that just happened to be the material that typically had more plants out there. So he did that for years. Um, eventually, he got, got the germplasm bank refined to this unique set of genetics and then in the mid-90s, we began to start to pay attention to plant heights and, and record those and track those very, very well. And we do that relative to the competition. So we'd put a number of products the competition had in our, in our trials and then have our stuff in there, of course. And we began to see that, oh my gosh, you know, our material is way shorter, <laughs> like substantially shorter than, than the competitions. And we, we even watched uh, one particular competing breeding, breeding program that we saw their material getting shorter also, not as quickly as ours, but it was getting shorter. Then we saw another company that actually their material was getting taller. And we tell you that that's because if you have the proper selection criteria in your program and you're eliminating shading effect as a factor on selecting for genetics in a uh, replicated plot study that you begin to select shorter plant types. The corn plant wants to get shorter and wants to be at, at higher populations also 
to be a higher yielding uh, hybrid. Hmm. So in a way, this whole thing started, if I'm hearing you, because all the research work that was done early on was about how many plots can you do, right? I mean, how many how many effective plots can you do? Exactly. And it, it, that's always a trade-off between the amount of work required per plot yep. and the number of plots you can do. So we decided not to hand thin the plots and in an effort to do more plots, to get more data. Yep. And then uh, over the years of doing that, we found a pool of material that's adept at being planted at higher population, probably was... We probably got rid of some stuff that was maybe worse on standability because you're exposing it to that in its real-world environment and probably didn't even know we were doing it at the time, (laughs) right? Yeah, it was really dumb luck. I mean, so my father, Harry, is a genius when it comes down to understanding how many plots he needed and, you know, the cost of that and how to to be as efficient as possible. And in doing so, he he eliminated a a couple steps that a lot of companies were doing at the time, but that helped him refine this germplasm bank to what it is today. Well, and and I think I've heard Harry say in the past too, you know, so we all the gains we made up until just a few years ago were almost entirely by accident because nobody really fully understood this trend. And 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 then you think of that, okay, now if we know what we're shooting for, Think of how productive we can be now, now that we know where this path is going. So that's kind of exciting. Oh, yeah. I mean, so the program, so then by the mid-90s, we began to understand, okay, you know, these shorter plant types is where it's going. You know, we need to find genetics that yield under higher populations, that stand under higher populations. That's the future. So if we want to create the future product for our customer, we have to be way ahead of the curve on, you know, we're going to be at populations that, that are unheard of for the, the typical farmer. Yeah, exactly. And so we've been on this path, as you said, since really, you know, as far back as probably the 1980s, whether we knew it or not, you know, the, this whole thing was kind right, of right. kind of evolving. But as I said, it seems like lately every magazine I open, everything we talk about lately on corn seems to be about shorter stature corn. So why, why all the conversation now if we've been talking about it for a long, long time? Well, I would tell you that, you know, we figured out that's how you get more yield out of corn. And frankly, you can just look at history and you can see how planting populations have increased since hybrid corn was, was started. And row widths have gone down. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, plain and simple to see that the future of corn will be higher populations, and probably to get those higher populations, you will need a shorter statured plant. And also happens to be that with a shorter statured plant, that opens up a number of management uh, practices that can be done, you know, with putting on a fungicide and herbicides and things of that nature with more conventional type uh, spray rigs versus, you know, flying it on, on on tall hybrids. Again, it seems to me like suddenly it's become a topic that's in vogue. I mean, in your opinion, why has it become a popular topic? Well, well, because the other breeding companies understand that's the direction their corn will need to go for the future. So everybody getting on the bandwagon all of a sudden is is leading to that conversation. Right. 
I guess the question I'd have is when, it, you know, again, we've been on this path for a really long time. What has, in your opinion, what's changed about the line of thinking, you know, uh, among the industry that suddenly everyone seems to get it? Well, so for the last 15 years, we've been talking about more plants per acre, make more yield, shorter plant types. The other companies are now, if, if you listen to them, they have the same exact information out. They're talking about the history of plant populations, so on and so forth. So they've figured out that's what will need to happen to, to have these, these better yields. I also think that with some companies, they have had a lot of issues with weather. If you look at our lineup, because it's shorter stature material, we tip, typically do very, very well with wind events and anything that hurts standability in general. And our competitors have always struggled with that. And sometimes that can be disastrous. And so I think they understand going down the road here, if they have material that's, that's handling weather events better than what, you know, what they have today, they're going to be ahead. Again, we're talking kind of about short stature corn, shorter corn plant architecture, which for Stein always seemed like that was really just a means to an end, right? I mean, in our case, the focus was on higher population, being able to increase population, and right. along with that tended to come shorter plant architecture. Right. Do you think those are two sides of the same coin, or uh, is short corn... Can it be a totally separate thing from higher population corn? That's a very, very good question. We would tell you that, first of all, we don't care what the plant height is. So we have not purposely went out and said, okay, we want short corn. Our breeding program and our selection process has brought that to us. And I would also tell you that you know, we've been tracking our plant heights, and believe it or not, they've stopped getting shorter. So I would tell you that, and at one time we thought, okay, you wanted them to be shorter and shorter, and we actually did some things. We brought some germplasm in that was very, very short and made thousands of hybrids with that. It was a failure. Those, those products did not do well. We know it's just not, you're just not going to have short corn. There's, it's more complicated than that. We just know that right now we have a batch of material a large batch of material that's shorter than what the industry has out there and it performs. And it's taken us years to get it there. So we just know that's, that's what we have and that happens to be a characteristic that, that we ended up with. But I don't believe it'll continue to get shorter at this point. So there is a, probably a realistic end to how short the corn plant can be. All right. I know one thing that, you know, I think comes up in that conversation when growers talk about plant height is uh, ear placement. When we talk about shorter corn, uh, that becomes a topic of concern. And I know you've talked a little bit about that in the past. What, I guess, let's just talk about architecture and, and what it takes to have short corn that's, uh, shorter corn that's productive. So ear placement's huge. You know, that's harvestability and we track that. That's another criteria, frankly, that we use. And all of our material, our ear placement has moved up the plant relative to the plant height. And so we don't have an ear placement issue. Now, we have heard from our competitors that that is a struggle that they have. They have a hard time 
having uh, preferable ear placement that gives good harvestability. And I would tell you that we don't have that issue because we've been doing this since the mid-90s. We have more than 30 years of you know, multiple generations of selection to assure that we have a, a good ear placement. In talking to our corn breeding team, there are a couple things that I thought were interesting with regard to ear placement was one being when corn plants are very tall, high ear placement becomes a problem because now you have a very high center of gravity, right, for that plant. Mm -hmm. So corn breeders, I think for a long, long time, were working to move ear placement uh, down, yep, lower, <laughs> lower on the plant, which then could start to work against you as you start to try to shorten up the plant. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other thing is, I suppose, and I correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, if if the plant's goal is to you know pollinate that that ear, uh, having that ear placement closer to the tassels, just probably is a logical. Uh, it's probably where the corn plant wants to be, right? Yeah, we've theorized that. You would think the fact that a lot of these newer genetics that we that we have have smaller tassels because it really doesn't take a large tassel to pollinate that it makes sense, yeah, that plant naturally wants to move that ear closer to the tassel so it pollinates more easily. That would make sense. We don't know if that's what's happening, but, but we know that's what we're getting. We're getting, we're getting short plants, the ear placement's going up, and in fact, the ear placement's wonderful. It's, it's typically just ideal for good harvestability, and that, that's causing that ear to be closer to the tassel. So we talked about ear placement and just to review and when we talk about these plants with, you know, this different plant architecture, what are some of the other things that we, you know, typically see characteristically the different plant architecture with high density or shorter stature corn? Yeah, so you, so you have shorter nodes. You have the same number of leaves. Your upper leaves are typically more upright leaves. And we think that happens because... You know, you're, you're trying to create, you know, a plant that does a better job of harvesting sunlight and more upright leaves do a better job of that. We also see the tassel being below the leaves because if the tassel's above the leaves, that tassel's blocking sun to some of the leaf material on that plant and it's not as efficient or it's, or it's just not able to gather as much sun. So we're seeing the tassel get smaller and the tassel go down below the leaves um, and once again, get closer to the ear. And that's something that you see, particularly with our material, you definitely see as you travel around in the summer, you'll see green leaves uh, up in the top canopy, up in the space where, you know, historically you might have just seen tassels All right. across yeah. that field. So, which again, if they're trying to capture light, that's, that's where you want those leaves to be. So we talked about the fact we've been on this road for a long, long time, you know, three decades uh, working toward this change in plant architecture, I guess, what advantages do you think our past experience gives us uh, over the rest of the industry who's just now coming to this? Well, the, the big thing is, is our germplasm bank of material is highly refined. And so it's, it's already shorter, it stands, has good ear placement, it performs, it yields. That's probably going to be the biggest factor is, you know, as these other companies get into it, they're adding a variable. They're, they're, they're trying to find shorter plant types and they're, you know, will they have the performance? Will they have the yield? Our program was selecting for yield. 
So the yield came first, then came the shorter plant architecture and so on and so forth. So our advantage will be just, we're just ahead of everybody by multiple, multiple, multiple generations. You could argue, you know, know, we're probably ahead of everybody by 50 or 60 generations based on our winter nursery work and so on and so forth. And that's a big deal. That's hard to catch up to that. And so so we're going to have more yield and then we're going to have better agronomic characteristics with our with our uh, hybrids. That was another thing I was going to ask. You know, over the decades, we've tried uh, a lot of different things. We've been through a lot of variations on this concept, always going toward increasing yield. But as we move toward this change in plant architecture, what do you think are things that maybe we've learned along the way that some of these companies are going to only begin to learn now as they are starting down the path we were on 30 years ago. Well, I'll tell you the big thing is when you're working with with a customer base with shorter stature material, shading effect is a huge factor. People tend to not understand shading effect. And farmers love to do their own tests on their farm. You know, like a split planter test, for instance. You know, half the planter is the shorter hybrid, half the planter is a conventional hybrid they've been using. Well, what happens is that taller hybrid, that conventional taller hybrid, will shade out that shorter plant type. They get their data in the fall and they go, well, that short corn didn't yield. That's because the, you know, the taller, the taller plant type shaded out a portion of the shorter plant type's rows. So that's a struggle. So people have to know how to evaluate these hybrids on their farm without shading effect becoming a factor. And sometimes you could talk to some people till you're blue in the face and they say, yes, yes, I get it, I get it. And then they do something and within their evaluation on their farm, they have not eliminated shading effect and they're getting bad data and they're making bad decisions on that. And when you say bad data, I mean, the, the error factor can be really significant, am I right? It can be huge. We have test after test in our research department and, and then our field reps do test after test that show, you know, like a six inch difference in plant height can cause the first two to three rows by that taller plant to be off by 40 bushel. Well, that's significant. That throws everything off. So people need to really evaluate these things and, and eliminate that shading effect by having large enough tracks where they're able to take the middle of the, you know, the track out um, or split a field or, or, or do something so you don't, have, you don't have shading effect. So the best approach is probably split a field and then avoid the several neighboring rows taking that data separately, right? So that you really are just taking the shorter stature corn separate from the taller corn and avoiding those middle rows that where the impact would be more pronounced. That's right. Where those rows touch, <laughs> where the short hybrid touches the, the tall hybrid, the tall hybrid is going to be harvesting more sunlight than the short hybrid and, and make the short hybrid look worse. So you just have to eliminate that and say that's not, that's not there. Well, and I assume that, that that same theory would hold true for even seed companies who may be doing one-row plots or two-row plots when they're evaluating material. And, and I don't know if anybody does that anymore, but I think for a long time that was a, a factor even in the breeding programs of a lot of seed companies, right? 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, in our own company, we've had to do a number of things to eliminate shading effect as a factor um, when we're doing an analysis of our data. And it's, it's difficult because as a, as a breeding entity, your objective is to uh, get the best data you can with as few plots and as, and as little seed as possible. And so that's hard. You, you, you don't want to have gino, you know, enormous plots because you're looking at hundreds of thousands of hybrids and you just can't afford to have these enormous plots that you can't plant eight rows and harvest the middle two rows to, to know that you don't have shading effect as a factor. And then you have alleyways in your, in your strip trials and things like that to consider. You know, David, another factor, the number one thing is shading effect. And then on these shorter hybrids, many of them need higher populations because they're shorter. Um, they're shorter, you have, you know, you have less biomass, but what you're trying to do is essentially have the same amount of biomass on that acre, but each plant has less biomass and you're trying to raise your, your yield. Well, people won't, won't use the right populations. I mean, they won't raise those populations to what they need to be. And uh, that's a huge, huge uh, factor also um, in understanding how this shorter stature of material works. And what do you think the hurdle there is? Is it uh, just tradition or is it past experience where maybe they've taken a hybrid that wasn't adapted and seen where pushing that population had a negative impact on the crop and so now they're, they're a little gun shy, I, I mean... What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's the last thing you said there. I think they have taken a conventional hybrid before, cranked the population up, and then had it fall down flat, which can happen. And the shorter stature material won't do that. And so, if I was a farmer, and you know, here's a new technology coming out, and I've done this before with my older style hybrids, I would be I'd be hesitant to do it also. But I think the big thing. You know, that's, that's a factor, but a big thing is we all take the path of least resistance. So we go out to our farm. Many growers, you know, either have a script uh, done ahead of time, and they may not take the time to make sure that specific hybrid gets the right population because they, they may treat all their hybrids the same. And maybe that's worked for them in the past, but now they can't do that. So it's a change, and it's something, it's an added you know, it's an added management uh, point, and uh, sometimes that's tough. That's tough to get that worked into the to the whole program. Yeah, and and that's a good point because you know you've got in many cases all winter long to make the best plan you have, but you know sometimes spring is not very forgiving, <laughs> and when the when the gun goes off, you know sometimes plans have to change, and uh, and that may be maybe a reason why it's difficult to adapt to some of these new new processes, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I guess it occurs to me that on our journey as we talk about short stature corn, you know, we were focused, we have been historically focused less on plant height, and you said that earlier, and more about population. Of the two, which of those do you think is more important? Because we're talking about uh, shorter corn so that we can increase the population. And I think some folks talk about shorter corn so it doesn't blow over, for example. Which is more important of those? Population. Yeah. I, I would tell you at the end of the day, that's the low-hanging fruit for many growers. More plants per acre will make more yield. Um, we have hybrids that 
maybe you would consider, you may consider them short stature, maybe not, but they still need more plants per acre. And um, at the end of the day, that's what's going to make yield. And you brought up a good point there. You know, short stature and high pop are not necessarily linked entirely. They tend to run in the same circles, but we do have hybrids that are taller relative to Stein that we still consider to be higher population and how they handle population, right? Right, correct. So where do you think, you know, like I said, right now this conversation is happening a lot. We're seeing a lot of things in the farm magazines, and I think as we travel around, you know, we've seen a lot more conversation with growers inquiring about uh, shorter stature corn. Where do you see this going? Do you think that this is just going to, you know, really explode now, or are we just only at the beginning of this? So we're known as a soybean company, not as a corn company. However, we're doing some very amazing things in corn. Some of our competitors, they're, they're, they have great corn programs. They have great breeding programs. I think it's really wonderful to see them in this area of shorter stature corn. I think some of them will do a nice job of talking about it. And, and frankly, they have a, a wider footprint than we have. And they can talk to more people than we talk to. So I think it will, without a doubt, help the, the movement of shorter stature corn into the industry. It will help growers understand how they use, this, you know, use these products. So I think it opens the door for, for Stein as a corn company to, to bring this technology to more growers and have more growers accept it. Yeah, so at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of um, you know, adding more voices to the conversation. And I think what we've said all along is you know, this is uh, an industry movement, or should be. And so I think what you're saying is having more people talking about it, more companies talking about it, forces that conversation in a way that probably we ourselves were not able to, to move along as quickly. Correct. You know, I've been, I've been even in, so we sell in Europe, and, and I, I was in France with some growers in France, and uh, we have our conventional material over there, which is doing very well. And uh, they have interest in shorter stature corn. We sell in Latin America. Even uh, uh, customers in Brazil and Argentina are wanting to talk about shorter stature corn. I mean, the whole world is going this direction. And it's a wonderful thing. And I think it's going to be one of the main factors that enables the world to up its corn production uh, significantly. Well, that's exciting, and it's exciting that we've had the leadership position to be able to kind of lead this along, and now all these conversations taking place, it seems like it's finally coming, coming to pass. Well, thank you, uh, Myron. We've been visiting Myron Stein about short stature corn and the movement within the industry and Stein's position. And uh, glad to have you on the show today. We appreciate you uh, joining us. Thank you, David. That's our time for today. I want to thank our guests and listeners for joining us on another episode of the Stein Seacast. We'll be back again soon with more expert interviews and insights about all things Stein. And to never miss an episode, Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to the Stein Seedcast wherever podcasts are found. To learn more about Stein and its elite corn and soybean genetics, visit steinseed.com. Stein has yield.